Welcome. Um, when Michael called yesterday, or texted because he couldn't call, um, I remembered that I had a sermon from seven years ago at Terrace Heights. Now it was before Michael taught the preaching class, so it's what they call topical instead of expository, which means instead of focusing on just one passage, it uses a lot of passages to reference the, the main idea. Many of you know that I really am passionate about teaching people to handle God's money the way God wants them to handle it. I teach Ramsey classes. I do other things. In fact, during this sermon today, you'll hear several references if you've been in the, Ramsey the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University. You'll hear references to that. Um, Dave has brought biblical ideas to the part where you can understand them, and I use some of those in the talk today. Why am I so passionate about teaching people to use money? We're taking a, a teaching the Bible class, and one of the things we're taught is um, to take your learners back to Bible times and put them in that scenario, put them in that culture, so they understand what was being said. With shepherds, that's kind of hard to do because we don't have a lot of shepherds in here. And we can use our imagination and we can really imagine, for example, when we were stationed in England, we found out that sheep stink. So we can use our imagination, but you just can't imagine the full power of the stink of sheep. But money in the Bible was pretty much like it is today. It, it represented work, it represented resources, people got paid. They had to feed their families. They needed money to do things. So when Jesus talks about money, or God talks about money, it's something that we can pretty clearly understand. So today we're going to talk about money and stewardship. Ah, the stewardship word. He must be talking about the building fund. When I did this sermon seven years ago, at Terrace Heights, they didn't have a building fund. We do. And that's, I'm going to mention it one more time in the sermon and that's it. So it's really not about the building fund. Um, we want to start with um, Matthew 25, 14 to 28. A lot of you will be very familiar with this. It's the parable of the talents. Talent is a form of money. So if you'll stand with me while we do Matthew... There we go. Starting in verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who calls his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and he made five talents more. So also, he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents, but I have here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. 
You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also had, who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to him who has the ten, ten talents. That's the focus passage for today. I'm not going to go into it into a lot of depth, but let's take a quick look at it. First of all, oh, sit down, yes. <laughs> um, on the surface, it's all about handling money. But is it limited to money? Obviously, parables go a lot deeper than money. I would claim that this is about everything that, that God gives you. Um, who is the master? The master, obviously, is God. And there's some interesting things in the parable. For example, he knows his servants. So he knows you and I. Sometimes I'm afraid to witness because I'm not Billy Graham. Well, I don't know how to break this to you, but very few people in this room preach like Billy Graham. But God doesn't expect you to preach like Billy Graham. Billy Graham is one of those ten talent people. You and I are more like the two talent people. God may not have given us a Billy Graham voice or a Billy Graham approach, but he has given us talents. He has given us resources and gifts. For some of us, I've heard some of you, you sing like angels. Others, um, not so much, but still, maybe that's not the gift God gave you. Okay. Um, One of the things in parables is things that are repeated are important. What does he say that's repeated? Well done, good and faithful servant. Eventually, we're all going to die like Billy Graham did. We're going to get to heaven and we're going to hear God's voice. And I hope that he says to me and to each one of you, well done, good and faithful service, servant. So what is a servant in this case? Um, in the King James Bible, it often uses the word steward. So what's a steward? Well, a steward was a medieval position about the time that King James was written. He was the person that had charge of all of the Lord's assets. He lived in a large house. Sometimes he'd even live in the Lord's castle while he was away. And he took care of the Lord's stuff. It was a very important position. And that word had common use in the King James Version. But I want to do something that, uh, to demonstrate what a steward is. So I need two volunteers. Come on up, Micah. Would you like to be the banker? Yes. Okay. I need somebody to actually... Come on up, Ezra. So Micah's the banker. Ezra represents you and me. Okay. And now we're going to do this. Ezra, you just got a job. And you just saved up a thousand bucks. I'm glad to miss 
<laughs> and I thought, now you worked hard for this money, didn't you? Just pretend. Make sure he doesn't stick that in his pocket. Um, he's completely distracted. But your spouse, you don't have one yet, but we can always pretend, insists that, honey, we don't want to keep this under our mattress anymore. What if somebody comes in and, and trashes our house and steals everything? They'll find the money and steal it. We should put it in the bank. So you're going to take it to the Bank of Micah. And you're going to put it in the Bank of Micah. Now Micah, by accepting that money, and he's actually counted to make sure that he hasn't stolen any. So <laughs> He's accepted what is called a fiduciary responsibility, which is a legal term. He is responsible to take care of that money for Ezra. And so, it's been a month, it's been two months, maybe it's been a year. And Ezra's spouse comes and says, Honey, it's time. What do you mean it's time? It's time to buy that china cabinet, honey. I know we don't use the china, but we need a cabinet to keep it in. So, I got, I got, see, you've heard that if you've been to Dave Ramsey. And he says, so, we need the money out of the bank to pay for the china cabinet, why don't you go to the bank and get the money out? So Ezra walks into the bank, not yet, and the teller looks up and goes, oh, it's you. How do you feel about that? He said, Micah, the president of the bank, um, he needs to see you. So Ezra goes in, and Micah, and he would never do this for real, I'm sure, explains, he said, he said, ooh, ooh, that's right. You notice that, huh? We would hope that president wouldn't do that. Yeah. Well, actually, that is, that is exactly what has happened. Micah, president of the bank, says, Ezra, you know, my wife and I don't make a lot of money here at the bank, and we needed some stuff. We needed a china cabinet. We needed a new motorcycle. In fact, my my Sea-Doo needed a sister. So we spent your money on that stuff. Is that okay? And Ezra's looking around. He's like, this must be like Candid Camera or pranking me or something. The guys at work, must. This, they're recording this. They're joking. And he realizes that Micah's not joking. He spent his money. How do you feel about that? <laughs> I want my money. Well, don't worry. I'm sure he'll visit you when you get out of jail. Well, the truth is, this is not you and me. Micah, or Ezra actually represents God. Micah represents you and me. When God gives us resources, they all belong to God. And we have a responsibility to take care of the resources that God gives us and to treat them in a way that, that God would approve of. We don't want him showing up and going, oh, those talents you gave me, I spent them on something else. You don't mind, do you, God? Thanks, guys. Have a seat. So, as, as Dave Ramsey says, it's one of my most expensive props. So, um, so what, are, what, is, what are we supposed to do with our talents? Well, A, we're not supposed to hide them. Right? A can, uh, candle hidden under a bushel? Hello! Um, we're not supposed to treasure it up in our own little secret pocket 
keep it under a mattress. Um, in the parable, the money returned two for one. It's a return on investment is the financial term. Um, so what's a good ROI? If God gives you a resource, what's a good return on investment? Well, financially, maybe two for one is a good return. Does God really care about money? Only to the degree that you make it an idol. What does God care about? He cares about souls. So what is a good return on investment on your talents? Um, I think that it's souls. Yeah. I think that's a very common thing. Um, if we get to heaven and we say that we used God's talents to reach people and to bring them into a relationship with the creator of the universe, do you think God will tell us, well done, good and faithful servant? I think so. So what should the relationship be between a, between a Christ follower and money? Um, is it okay to have money if you're following Christ? Um, are we told, we're told to give sacrificially. Does that mean that we should give all of our money away? Well, let's look a little bit in the Old Testament. Um, let's look at Job. In Job 1.8, he is called blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. He was wealthy in both livestock and family. Um, in 1.10, Lucifer asks, Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hand so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. Was Job a believer in God? The Bible says he was. Did he have wealth? Did he use it wisely? We don't have a lot of details on that. We assume so. We know that God blessed him. What about King David? God calls him a man after my own heart in Acts 13.22. He was king of Israel. He had enough money to put aside all the supplies to build the temple. Was he wealthy? Yes. Was he a Christ follower? Yeah, apparently. Uh, what about in the New Testament? Are there any rich people in the New Testament? What about Zacchaeus? You remember the song? I won't sing it for you. You can be thankful for that. Zac you know, anyway. Um, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. What was his job? He was a tax collector. In fact, he was extremely wealthy. He says, a man was there, this is uh, Luke 19.2, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. Um, Later in verse 8, he says, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. And Jesus responds in verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. So there's one man in the Bible that became a Christ follower. If you're wealthy and you give away half your wealth, are you still wealthy? Probably. So he was wealthy. Anybody else we know of? What about Matthew? What was his job when Jesus found him? He was a tax collector. Was he wealthy? The Bible doesn't use the word wealthy when he, just, when he describes Matthew, but are we to assume that Matthew was the only honest tax collector in the land? Probably not. He probably had some wealth, and it was probably gotten less than honestly. 
Um, he left that to follow Jesus. We don't know exactly what that means. Matthew 27, 57 to 60. Anybody know what that is? Who is that, Chris? Joseph of Arimathea. He's mentioned three times. He's mentioned in Matthew, I want to say Mark and Luke. Um, I think that's right. But he's mentioned three times, and only one time, and it's in, uh, it's in Matthew here. Somewhere. There we go. So when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Um, and Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And this is the wrong passage. Of the three passages, only one of them mentions that he is wealthy. Did it say he was wealthy? Good. Rich man. Rich man. Thank you. Thank you. It's nice to have your back covered. Um, and a final look at godly men and women is the Proverbs 31 wife which says a wife of noble character who can find she's worth far more than rubies her husband has full confidence in her and lacks in nothing of value that might be riches can anybody who has a spouse like that think of anything that's equally or more valuable I can she makes sure that I have lack in nothing of value Okay, if it's okay for Christ followers to have money, then why does Luke 18.25, see if I can get to that real quick, say, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. If it's okay to have money, why is God warning us about it? Oh, Riches are not always a good thing. Why is that? Because a lot of times your riches become your idol. Um, we look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 to 10. It tells us how we are to behave with money. It says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, we cannot take anything out of the world. You've heard that at funerals, right? Uh, there are jokes and memes on the internet about that, taking it with you. Um, but if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Um, The NIV says many griefs, and I think I like that one better. Pangs doesn't mean a lot to me. Um, so how do we balance the, the point if it's such a big temptation? Well, what do we know about rich people in the Old Testament? When we think of Job, do we think of a rich man who happened to follow God? Or do we think of a godly man who happened to have some money? When you think of King David, you think of a rich man who was the king of England and happened to follow God? Sorry, king of... Ah, oh, it's been one of those days. Uh, king of Israel. 
and happened to follow God? Or do you think of a, a man who loved God dearly and was blessed with some money? When you think of Matthew, the disciple, do you think of a rich man who happened to be a disciple of God? Or do you think of a disciple who gave up everything to follow God? So hopefully you think of a God follower or a Christ follower who just happened to have money. I think maybe that's the key to God followers' relationship with money. You need to be a follower of God who happens to have some money. Look at 1 Timothy 6, 17-19, which I will read here because I took the bookmark out that I had it bookmarked with. Um, Command those who are rich in this, this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. If you've been in the membership, you've heard this. How much do we give? We're called to give a tithe. That's 10%. And in Genesis, it's, it's, a lot of people think the tithe is recent. Maybe it was a New Testament thing. Maybe it was while they were wandering in the wilderness. But the tithe actually dates back much further than that. Um, it dates back originally to Melchizedek. Have you guys heard of Melchizedek? Christ is said to be a priest on the order of Melchizedek. So, so Genesis uh, chapter 14 verses 18 to 20. Um, after his return from the defeat of some king, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shiva, that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Again, we go to Genesis chapter uh, 28 at the end of the chapter. Uh, it's Jacob's, the story of Jacob's ladder. Jacob has had the dream. He struggled with the angel. Um, some people think he actually struggled with Christ. What's important for this talk is the end of the chapter when he says, Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. So the tithe goes back almost to the very beginning. Not quite to Adam and Eve, but close. Um, do we see the tithe in the New Testament? Maybe it's just an Old Testament thing. Very good. Matthew 22, verses 19 to 21. And ah, nineteen. Oh, that's why. 
So show me a coin for the tax. They brought him a Daenerys. Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. And he said, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God's the things that are God's. We give a tithe, which is a tenth, because we're told to. Um, some of you give a tithe exactly to the tenth, to which I will accuse you of being little Pharisees if you need to figure out to the penny what you're giving, because we're told to give with a generous heart. Okay? But what about something above the tithe? If you give it above the tithe, Technically, that's an offering. The tithe is supposed to go to your local church. In the Old Testament, it went to the temple. And the temple used it to feed the widows and orphans and basically to pay salaries and stuff. Okay? Um, if you give your money to this local church here, you need to hold us accountable that we're handling it properly, that we're paying Michael a salary, um, that we're taking care of people within the church and maybe even without the church. Um, if you want to give your offering to the Red Cross, to parachurch organizations, to something like else, great. Um, that's entirely between you and God how you give offerings. Um, so God tells you to give a tenth to the local church. Why does he do that? First theory. God needs my money. Yeah. Um, Psalm 50, verse 9 to 12. I will not accept the bull from your house or goats from your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Folks, it all belongs to God. It's not really a tenth. God doesn't own a tenth of what you have. He owns everything. And let me tell you, if he wants your money, he'll take it. There'll be a greasy spot where you were standing. God doesn't need your money. Remember, he created the entire universe and the stars. He said, and the stars also, poof, from pitch black to billions of stars. In just those few words. He needs a million dollars. He could probably do that in one word, maybe half a word, maybe even a grunt, if he really wants, if what he wants is money. So God needs my money. Uh-uh. Theory two. He told us to give it to the local church because the local church needs our money. Have you guys seen our budget? I think it actually, if it's not six figures yet, it's pretty close to six figures, which is a lot more than a lot of you guys make. Yeah. The church doesn't need your money. If God wants to bless this church... He'll do it whether you're given or not. He'll take this church and grow it to 5,000 people if that's what he wants to do. He'll all keep it at 30 or 40. He'll do whatever he wants. God doesn't need people to give money to his church. What he needs are sold out believers who give their entire lives to God in service often to the church. God doesn't need you to give money to the church. Um, by the way, studies show that, that between 10 and 40% of your average church tithes, 
And we're coming pretty close to making budget. Imagine if the remaining 60% were tithing. That would be two and a half times what our current budget is. Oh, wait, we could put it into the building fund. See, I did go there. Um, but we could also um, give Michael a raise, hire a youth pastor, um, be of more service to the community, feed more hungry people, bless more people in the church. So, um, Thirty-three. Because if you don't tithe, you're going to hell. Well, yes, it is true. Not tithing is a sin. We read Malachi earlier. Um, but how many sins have you committed other than that? More than one? At least three? At least three? <laughs> yeah. Was God able to forgive you for that? He certainly was, and He certainly can forgive you if you're not tithing. Um, tithing is not a salvation issue. If you're not tithing, that's between you and God. Um, so it's not an unforgivable sin. So, okay, God doesn't need our money. The church doesn't need our money. It's not a salvation issue, so why does God tell us time and again to give and to tithe? I have a theory. And that is that I'm going to cover that in a little bit. Yeah, we'll skip that part. That's fine. I have a theory. And that is that um, God tells us to give because it's a reflection of His character. How many of you have heard the theory that when you smile and you're grumpy and you smile, your body releases endorphins and chemicals and stuff? And you can actually get happier by physically smiling even if you don't feel like it. You guys have heard that theory? Well, why do we do um, baptisms? Why do we do the Lord's Supper? It's something that Jesus did and we want to imitate Him. Okay? So my theory is, and I think I'm right, is that when we do things that imitate the character of Christ, it brings us that much closer in our walk with Jesus. Jesus is God, right? And what did God give? Well, we all know John 3.16. Depending on which version you learned it in, we could do it all together. So we'll do it in this version. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Key word in that verse, at least for the purpose of this talk. He gave His only Son. God is a giver. Look at your life and the things, the blessings that He's given you. Is there any argument that God is a giver? And when we give, it reminds us of what, or it should remind us anyway, of what God gave for us. God gave His one and only Son. Is that enough of a reason for us to give a tenth back? It is for me. At least I hope it is. I should probably add one more thing here. And that is that although we talk about money, money is not the only resource that God gives us. I talked about your voice. Um, for some of you, you're incredible with machinery. You know, I'm really good at taking stuff apart. Not so good on the putting it back together. Um, some of you guys can work on cars. 
Uh, you know, some of you, I'm really good at supervising at the building. Some of you actually do real work and get it done. Um, God has blessed us with so many resources. So what's a good return on investment? We're going to do something that I don't know. I know we've never done it in Terrace Heights. And I'm going to do it here. Uh, we're a smaller church. So I can actually get away with it here. And that's very simple. I'm going to give each family $100. This is God's resource to you. I'm making this as concrete as I can. For some of you, you'll take this money and you'll buy a tank of gas and you'll cut all the neighbor's yards and you'll come back eventually with twice as much just like the people in the talents. For some of you, you'll um, have been praying for somebody for months or years and wanted to meet with them and talk to them about Jesus. And maybe you just haven't had the money to take them out to dinner or something. So maybe you'll take somebody out to dinner and tell them about Jesus. For some of you, you'll be like the guy with one talent and you'll just throw it in the box. For one or two of you, you might just pay a tithe on it and keep the rest of it yourself. I don't know. For some of you, you'll decide that the best way that this money can be used is to dedicate it to the Northwest College Ministry people that are coming up so that they can eat while they're here. For others of you, maybe it's the building fund. See, I mentioned it twice. <laughs> I don't know how you're going to use this resource that God has given you. That's between you and God. I hope that in the coming weeks and months we get some great testimonies out of this. How God had you use that resource. Um, again, that's between you and God. Um, let's pray and we'll be done. Lord Father, you've given us so much. You've given us your Son that we might have eternal life. Um, we have some new resources that you've given us. Just give us wisdom in how we use them. We want a great return on investment. Um, in some cases that's money, but we hope, and I think you hope, that it's a return on investment in souls. New people that they get to know you as their friend and their savior. Father, give us um, wisdom as we go about this week. Help us to uh, glorify your name in whatever we do. We ask this in your name. Amen.